Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Michigan Avenue Media. A good story is a good story. Hosted by Marsha Casper Cook. Live shows every week with interesting interviews in the entertainment field with writers, producers, directors, and screenwriters. There's also shows about newsworthy topics and group discussions about writing tips to help writers reach success. New to the show are conversations about personal struggles and how to feel good about yourself in today's world. One thing's for sure, it's always a lively conversation and lots of fun. So sit back and enjoy the show. Morning, everybody. It's Marsha Cook, and we're going to have a great show. Catherine Lane is on, but uh, I will say we're lucky to be on. I'm sure anybody out there has already heard that there's outages. So, so far, so good. So we'll stay on, and uh, I got I used another number that they gave me, so otherwise we would not be on today. Mine wasn't working. So we'll hope that gets better, and uh, Catherine has um, a lot to talk about. And she's a wonderful author, but she's also had a personal struggle, and here she is to tell us all about it. Catherine, I'm so happy to have you. Well, Marsha, it's such a pleasure to be back on your show. It's um, been a while. We tried to get a show together uh, before I had brain surgery, and we Mm. had to postpone it until I was fully recovered, and here I am. Yes. Yes, thank God. Knock wood. I mean, and so tell everybody, before we get into, uh, you know, all your books and everything, the, the struggle that you went through to be here is important because um, a lot of times people are out there and they don't know things that could happen to them that have happened to you and could be prevented possibly. So do you want to talk a little bit about what happened and what occurred? Because, yeah, you were, that's, this has been a year already, I think. it's. When, when was your surgery? My surgery was uh, was six hours, and I was under anesthesia a little bit longer than that, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then my recovery was, uh, they told me it's a full year and a half because um, of the type of brain surgery that I had. Mm-hmm. But they did tell me the first six weeks would be the most difficult, and once I was past that, then my life would start to uh, to improve. And yes, the first six weeks were very difficult. But but let me tell you, Marsha, the reason I like to talk about this is that I had no idea uh, when I was uh, diagnosed with a brain aneurysm that um, I didn't know that it ran in families, and I did not know that one in 50 people in the world walking around with some sort of aneurysm in their body. Now, that does not mean that they will have an aneurysm that will burst. They could live their entire life and never even know that they had an aneurysm. But for those aneurysms that grow, it is a very dangerous proposition for the individual because if the aneurysm bursts, the uh, likelihood of surviving and surviving well is very, very thin. Yes, it's practically impossible. How did you know? How did you know you were sick? I mean, it's you know, if if there are symptoms that people don't know about, what happened to make you aware of what well, was going to happen? Most people don't have symptoms, but there are a few symptoms. Uh, one of them, the one that alerted me that that something was wrong, was that I had double vision. I was sitting at the computer and I was uh, working. Yeah. Just from one second to the next, 
I had double vision, so I assumed wow. I was having um, some sort of stroke. But I felt okay, and I, um, my husband wasn't home at that time. He had gone to breakfast with some friends, and I didn't want to call him until I knew, you know, is something really serious here? My vision came back perfectly okay, and at that point, I stood up. That was, I guess, 10 minutes. I stood up, went to the mirror, did all sorts of tests in front of the mirror to see if, you know, it was obvious that I'd had some sort of stroke. Stood on one leg, stood on the other, said what day is it, you know, and all sorts of things to myself, and I seemed to be making perfect sense. Called him anyway, and we went to the emergency room, and he said, you have not had a stroke but we have discovered that you have an aneurysm in your brain. And like I said, that is unusual. Normally, you don't get that kind of uh, advanced warning. There is one other symptom that I had for several years, and uh, they think that it was definitely uh, from the time that the aneurysm had grown to it was only a medium-sized aneurysm. Normally, they don't become dangerous until they're larger. And right. don't ask me what large is. They measure the, of course. The, yeah, right, uh, right. It's measures. Tiny measurements. Um, but I had had visual migraines. Now, visual migraines do not hurt. You just get these squiggly lines that uh, come about and you... Um, see them in if they're in your you know in your line of sight and what I would do when I would get one and I had asked my uh, ophthalmologist you know why am I getting yeah. this and he said well you use the computer a lot and you need to take more breaks but they had become worse and worse and I told him and he didn't think that there was anything the matter with me uh, at that hmm. time uh, he should have sent me in for um, for a, a, a CT scan but he didn't yeah. Later, I discussed that with him, uh, and he said, yes. So was this, a, an ophthalm- this was an ophthalmologist, not an optometrist, an ophthalmologist. Yes, that was an ophthalmologist, yeah. yes. Yeah. So then mm. when, I, when, I, when they discovered the uh, aneurysm, they sent me into the hospital, and I spent two nights there, and they did extensive uh, studies, and then they said, because it is uh, on the low end of a medium-sized aneurysm, it's not as if you need to do something immediately. And this was in um, early November, okay? It was the mm-hmm. 3rd of November. And they said, why don't you, uh, and I, they said, if you want to, we need to have you go through an angiogram, which is where um, right. they go mm-hmm. in through the groin and come up through the arteries and through the heart and into your brain to check things out and take pictures. Well, I said, can we, hold off on that until after the holidays. I want to get through New Year's and then you can, you know, do all the tests you want. And they agreed agreed because it wasn't at that point something that was terribly urgent. Well, what happened then, Marsha, I rewrote my will. I, you know, prepared myself emotionally, spiritually, you name it. I mean, I, and then on January 5th, the neurosurgeon uh, did the angiogram. And the results from that showed that it was a far more dangerous uh, aneurysm than we had originally anticipated. Once he got the up-close, enlarged picture, Mm -hmm. it was not just the aneurysm that was balloon-shaped. 
it had a couple of little legs sticking out of it, which make it a lot more uh, dangerous because it's more likely to burst. So, of course, at that point, we need to get you into surgery sooner rather than later. And then again, I said, can we wait a month? And the doctor said, yes, I think that a month would be okay, but certainly I wouldn't let it go more than about six or eight weeks. So then in February of last year, February 7th, I had open skull brain surgery because the angiogram had revealed that the location of it could only be treated uh, through open skull brain surgery. Yes, because there are times that they can go in with another angiogram procedure and do what they call coil aneurysm. Hmm. But my... Uh, was it, it just wasn't possible because of the shape of it and the location where it was on on the artery going into the brain. So it, the surgery itself, I had a wonderful team. There were thirteen uh, people on the team that included the neurosurgeon, his assistant, and then there were three people that were just monitoring my brain waves because it's right. such delicate surgery and these. And let me just take an aside here. You know, there are so many things going on in the world, and a lot of people are very anxious about everything. But the one thing, the one area where I think we can point to wonderful advances in medicine, um, mm-hmm. you know, medicine has come a long way, oh, and I'm a living yeah. example of it. Um, yeah. So, yeah. so in the operating room, uh, they had three people monitoring my brain waves because the clip to clip off, they don't cut it, they just um, put a titanium clip uh, on the uh, aneurysm not right next to the artery where mine was to cut off the blood flow going into the aneurysm. And I will live with that the rest of my life, that, that little clip there. Um, right. And then- well, Thank goodness um, they can do that. Yes, they have to have the brain waves monitored and apparently absolute silence in the operating room so that the neurosurgeon and the brain wave technicians can coordinate everything so that that gets clipped at precisely the right time so that you don't have any brain injury caused by um, the yeah, brain wave. Yeah, it's a delicate surgery, right, right. And, you know, we see all these things on television, but these things are real. You know, a lot of people think, oh, it can't happen to me. But, yes, anything can happen to anybody. Absolutely, yeah, and that's why none of us know. I do like talking about this because I want to make people aware that if yeah. aneurysms run in a family, everybody that, that's in that an, family. That's something that I'm sure people do not know. Because that I don't. Correct. I, I that's, not, that's not information, right? So someone in your family had it. Well, my grand my, my neurosurgeon believes that my grandmother at that time, of course. In Mexico, yeah. mm-hmm. no one knew about aneurysms. People died of massive strokes, and it was because right, of an right. aneurysm. Yeah. And they just, yeah. you know, hmm. fell over and passed at that, you know, very quickly. Yeah. Um, and because seven members of my grandmother's family, herself and her se- six siblings, all died of massive strokes. The um, wow. neurosurgeon wow. said that's too much yeah. of a coincidence. At least yeah, half a lot. Yeah. At least three of them 
would have had aneurysms, and that would have caused their massive strokes. Wow. So, of course, now yeah. I told my brother, yeah. told my son, um, and I, every time I give a book presentation, I've given eight so far this this year, and I, I just, at the very end, I don't go into as much detail as I'm going um, into right. here, but I have said, you know, this is what happened to me, and if you are aware of any um, history of aneurysms in your family, whether they're in the stomach or in the heart, I said sometimes they can just be monitored and you don't ever need to have surgery. But if you need surgery, you need it because otherwise if it bursts, you're not going to be around for very much longer. See, that's the thing, you know, a lot of times, you know, there are, there's such advances in medicine that, you know, it's, it's extremely, un, you know, I mean, for me, like I've done, I was worked in hospitals and clinics and labs and, you know, so many of the things that people have now and are getting help for, they didn't have that before. And, you know, and some of the tests and the, but one of the problems is, is that, a lot of people don't go to the doctor. They're scared of going to the doctor at all. You know, they don't get checkups. And I might say that a lot of these doctors, now they don't give thorough exams. They really, they don't. It's a whole different thing. And so that's another problem that people, if you don't like the way your doctor is or you think he's neglecting you, well, maybe he is and, or she, you know, and because they're, they're, they're on a time limit now when they do physicals, which they never and used that, to have. Because there are patients that are going to, uh, if they take a little more time, they might find something out about uh, yeah. what's going on in that person's life. And I agree with you. And you used to be in the medical yeah. field, so yep. you are a very good voice. And I, I watch for... it now, and I and I see this. And you know, I mean, we've had shows on breast cancer. You know, I've had a lot of different things, but you know, people a lot of times they don't want to hear it. They're scared, but. You need to know that things can happen, you know, and you should check yourself out. But like with an aneurysm, it's true. Most people don't get to the spot where you are because they don't know. And that's what happens. Some of these things are silent. That's correct. And then it's too late. Let me also tell you, Marsha, in the U.S., all the large cities do have very good neurosurgeons and neurologists. Yes. Uh, in other countries, depending on the country, people may not yeah. be so lucky. In fact, right. I reached the doctors. That was one of the things I wanted to do when I realized I was going to have open skull brain surgery. I wanted to um, research the doctors very carefully. And right. I got some from someone who works with, obviously she's an operating um, room nurse, and she um, knows all of the good neurosurgeons and she gave me some references and I checked them out and I interviewed three of them and I decided on the same man that I had seen at the hospital and he was born in Pakistan and moved to this part of Texas, North Houston, uh, better known as the Woodlands where we are. Uh, He had moved here when six years old and he has people, as do a lot of neurosurgeons in, in the Houston area, he has people that come from all other countries that do not wow. have this kind of service. And this yeah. kind of surgery started becoming available. Uh, it, the first 
surgery, I think, took place in the mid-1990s. So it's been around for a few years, but certainly not for a very long time. Yeah. And, um, well, right, and, they, and, you know, they've improvised and they, you know, they, they know what they're, you know, if you go to a good doctor, you hope, you know, and, you know, we don't know, but, and we don't also know what's in our body that would affect what surgery, so that's why you have to really go to someone that does a thorough exam of who, of what you are, and a lot of these doctors do, you know, the specialists are, in this country, are really good, you know, it may be, are, it may be a lot of times the general practitioners or the internists that could miss something. But once you get to a specialist, you hope that they know everything that there is to know about that. And I think a lot of them do. I think they yes. take the time, whereas your own doctor, they don't. And that's going to be a problem. So I'm hoping that they'll figure something out with that because Everybody knows somebody that's had some horrible story about something that could have been checked. And so in your case, this is great that they found it and you're well, not good. Oh, yeah. And let me tell you, Marcia, that last year uh, in between the um, angiogram, which was exploratory to see how they were going to handle and take right. care of the, of the aneurysm, between that, which was January 5th and then February 7th when I actually had the brain surgery, I had a book that was published, and it's a stolen diary, and it's um, not in the Nikki Garcia series. It's a standalone book, although I'm getting requests from people to write a sequel to it because some people have enjoyed it tremendously. It's about a young girl that's on the autism spectrum, and yet I never mention in the book that she's on the autism spectrum. I just simply give, uh, you know, right. her characteristics. And, and her traits and, and let the reader figure that out. And the reader does figure, figure it out. Um, but that book was published in between those two procedures, the, in between the angiogram and the actual full, you know, skull, uh, full open skull surgery. And that to me was so thrilling to have that book published at that time. And of course I had to face reality. Even though I was in very good hands, I didn't know if I would make it through the surgery okay. Yeah. Um, I, I have that book, and I that that's not in audio, is it? Because I, I have it. I'm going to no, read it. No, it's not it. in audio. It's not in audio yet. No, it isn't. Yeah. And I was um, looking for it last night, right, to see. Um, you know, I, while we're talking about this, before we get into a lot of your writing, you know, you I'd like you to talk a little bit about your husband because – he got in touch with everybody that was wanting to know how you were doing because, you know, I got the message, you know, and, you know, and I think that's really important because you had someone to help you through this. And a lot of people aren't oh. that lucky. So Marsh, talk a little bit about how good that was. Oh, I couldn't have done it without Bob. I'll tell you, he is so wonderful in so many ways. I mean, with my books he does all the back office work you i know, know. He sets up i know but he also but, but he cared enough to let people know how you were doing and that's let really me nice. yes marcia because you and i were going to have a chat uh in the program and then the surgery came up and we had to postpone right. um right. he first of all let me let me start by saying not well obviously bob is just absolutely wonderful and he was so patient and so encouraging 
and so caring and so loving throughout all of this, and as he always is. But um, he's not a cook. Let me say he's not a cook. <laughs> and I thought, well, I don't want to be eating pizza every night while I'm recovering. <laughs> so I, uh, I cooked up six weeks' worth of food, you know, soups you and wow. vegetables <laughs> and uh, chicken and you name it. I uh, stews. I mean, I... And I froze them in containers, and I labeled them, and I gave him, uh, it was two pages, the list was two pages long, yeah. and I said, we will decide, or you will decide what we eat that day, and you'll pull it out of the freezer. <laughs> and, um, and then, of course, he could handle eating it up, he could handle, and, and it was, he was just, uh, but Marsha, tell you he was so loving and caring that I he never I never even broke down to cry because I felt that I was in such good hands that I yeah. had Bob and I had a good surgeon and I yeah. and, a, and a good medical team and um I look back now and think I I was just so very fortunate in so many ways yeah. but also yeah yeah Bob yeah. Was just and of course Bob Ran all sorts of, you know, he took me to the hospital every time I needed to go. And, of course, um, they they had to check me after six weeks, after I, you know, after the first six weeks that are they're pretty critical because you can, yeah. if something goes yes. wrong that they're not aware of, that's when it's most likely to happen. And you can go into, uh, um, you know, you can have seizures because they've worked on the brain. You can right. have all sorts of things. Bob was just always there. And there yeah. was only one time I think he had to go somewhere, and uh, and we called a neighbor to come over. And people yeah. are amazed we did not have uh, nursing assistance in the home for those six weeks, or at least the first three weeks. Um, right. But, no, Bob was just superb, absolutely superb. Um, and I can't, you know, I'm, I'm just so fortunate. Well, there's a story that. in that. There's a story in that. That's for sure. There is. <laughs> because, you know, that, I mean, that matters. You know, I think that when people have things, you know, illnesses or, you know, where they need some help, you know, especially like women, we do everything. You know, we could do a hundred things at one time. And then the thought of not being able to is a scary thought because we always take care of it. Well, not every woman does, but a lot of women do take care of a lot of things, you know, and when our husbands are sick or our children or whatever. And it's a worry sometimes of who's going to take care of us, you know, so that's a, that's important. Yes, and throughout that time, when I say I didn't cry, it didn't mean that I wasn't scared. There were times I was scared out of my wits, you know, uh, yeah, having brain no. surgery and you ever want to have or not something you want to wish on no, anybody. That's scary. Yeah, it is very is scary. scary. Um, but because of the nurturing environment um, that I was in, I just, uh, I, I just never did cry. I was, and and yeah. Bob later said, "Do you know that you never cried?" Now. Um, so it was, uh, yes, it was, a, I guess, a, a, a very, it was an extensive challenge because it did last yeah. for a while. And, and of course, um, the other thing was that I was not supposed to have communication with very many people. That is, I had to let my brain uh, right. heal, yeah. which right. meant that uh, 
I couldn't do very much reading. The the neurologist right. said at first, you don't even watch, want to watch any TV programs because it will exhaust your brain. And that, yeah. I found that to be true. Yeah, I could watch a, some innocuous little program, and then I would have to go in and lie down and um, because it was just uh, too much for the brain. And then slowly, of course, you know, one day at a time, and things. then at the end of six weeks, uh, I was uh, able to, uh, you know, that I was in bed that much. I would walk around a lot, and they did say that walking was was going to help me. Oh, a they lot. did, yeah, to keep so, your, your yeah. blood flowing and everything, yeah, probably. Yes, yeah. and uh, so the last thing to do. And now I'm back to uh, exercising a lot more, and I'm doing weight training, which I had never done before. But they said that the weight training would be very good. So I'm yeah. Bob and I there again. Bob is going with me. <laughs> we have a we well, go in twice a week and <laughs> we do it together. Well, I think it's, you know, I mean, because a lot of times people, you know, it, it's that's part of your recovery if you have the right people helping you. I mean, even with therapists and things like that, if you have the wrong physical therapist or whatever, you know, the journey of people having illnesses could go either way because you really, you know, have to have people that know what they're doing. And sometimes you don't realize that, you know, if they're good or not till when you're done with the therapy, you go like, what did they do for me? You know, and though in your case, thank goodness, and then now you're still exercising and keeping up. So that's a really good thing. But I think there's so much that got, you know, that gets involved with, you know, when a person is not well. I think people, you know, yeah. that's why what we were what we were talking about before is people, I try to do this and I try to tell my family members also that not to look about in the future but to kind of enjoy the day for what it is, not for what you don't have, but for what you do have on that day. There's so much wisdom in that, and that is absolutely true. And if more people would just live that way, it would be wonderful yeah. because yeah. we worry so much about, oh, I've got to do this, I've got to do that, and we yeah. run around and, yeah. and don't take time to smell the roses, and it is important right. to slow down life. And do things like that on a daily basis. You know, it can be uh, it can be five or six minutes in the morning. Yeah. It can be yeah. a yeah. couple of minutes. You know, when you're having lunch, it can be. But we all need to have a little pause and appreciate the things that we have in life. Yeah, and I, I think you know, during COVID, it was very difficult. People were in the house and they weren't doing things. So you know, and I'm. You know, we I had many shows like about talking about COVID and everything like that. So people, because their mental state was not good, and you know, um, exercise, eating right, those things help. You know, and when you have an illness and you're getting better, those things help too. So those are everything works together. You know, you can't not have good nutrition or exercise when you're recovering. If you don't do those things, you will not recover as well. And That's you know, I'm. And people, go ahead, say, what were you going to say? Because I know that's what no, happened no, with you, like you just said. No, I just think it's important for people to do that, you know, because even if you have something, they do say that when you exercise and eat right, and if you, people get things, it tend, they tend to recover better than people that don't. You know, it's not always exercising to lose weight. It's exercising for your whole body and your mind. 
Yes, yes, that is correct. And they're finding that exercise is so important for so many aspects of life, uh, not just keeping your weight under control, but it's, uh, I've read tons of articles where the exercise, people that exercise are less likely to get dementia or Alzheimer's in old age versus people yeah. who don't exercise. Um, so, yeah. And, 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 and I think it's diet. all those things, you know, and you traveled your whole, you traveled before for your company. So I want to, let's talk a little bit about your past as far as your career. And then I've had a lot of people that are authors now that did not do that before. You had a whole career, a big one, a, a very career important with one. A company, with a wonderful company that was John, that's Johnson & Johnson. And uh, the first six years that I was with them, I traveled the world for them. And then the, um, I was with them for two decades. And then I um, was promoted up to uh, CFO of Johnson Johnson Mexico. And that's the country that I'm originally from. So it was wonderful for me to return uh, to Mexico in a position like that at a time, this was in the early 1990s, at a time when a lot of Mexican women uh, did not have those kinds of opportunities. And there were universities, there were two universities that invited me to speak to um, different groups in their student body, particularly women, because they wanted, because I was serving as a role model. You know, this is what a woman can do in life if she wants to. And that didn't mean that I gave having a family. I had my son. And uh, and then, of course, I um, I moved on up the ranks and so on, but I did travel a lot. I've been to 98 countries around the world. And that's some of the information now that those cultures, because I'm very, I'm just passionate about, they're so interesting, and how each country can have its own culture. Well, even uh, different regions within a country can have their own uh, subculture. And I'm always interested in that. And I can try to convey that in my novels, in my Nikki Garcia uh, mystery series, because um, I place uh, Nikki, the protagonist, in different places, in different countries. And um, although she's been in the U.S., when COVID hit, I was going to be going to Hong Kong. Bob and I were going to travel over there so I could do the research um, that I needed to do. I've done a lot of online research. And we were going there so that I could uh, get the feel for the culture a little bit more closely than if I just, you know, did did the online research. And um, then COVID hit, so we couldn't go. We had to postpone that trip. We ended up canceling it later. Um, So we went to Miami, and I had been to Havana, Cuba, a few years before. And I thought, well, Havana and Cuba have such a connection with people that have uh, yes. with uh, Cuba that have come to uh, Miami. So I um, wrote a book about that instead of writing the one to, in Hong Kong. I still haven't right. written the one in Hong Kong because I haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> yeah, but, you, know, um, and, you know, naturally travel, you know, because a lot of people don't travel a lot, and the people that do travel a lot, they their writing is a, is a lot more flavored. I'm not, I, I don't travel as much, and I know that's, it's better if you do travel because you do get the, the flavor of how people live and it's just, it's different and you have to, and you know it when you see it. Yes. But, and that's book, you don't, 
you don't see it as much online as you would if you're in there. You could go. That's right. That's right. And one of the biggest compliments that I get as a writer is when people say to me, I read your book that's uh, placed in Barcelona, Spain, and it reminded me so much of being in Barcelona. I was there yeah. two or three years ago. And it just reminded me of being there. And that, to me, is the greatest compliment uh, that that's I exciting. can write. That's but, always exciting yeah. for a writer to hear that. That never gets old. <laughs> No, you're right. <laughs> I wanted to talk a little bit. You you meant you talk, let's talk about stolen diaries a little. You know, um how did you come up with that character? Well, that's a very interesting little story. Well, Bob and I were in Budapest, Hungary, and this was in about two thousand seventeen. And we were staying at this lovely old hotel and they had piano concerts every afternoon. And one afternoon, we took the time, stopped to smell the roses, and stayed yep. for the concert. And I started getting, uh, as writers often do, uh, uh, this idea of a young girl playing the piano with her grandfather. And, and it, there were no children there, and the piano player was not a grandfather. But for some reason, this image just kept coming back to me. And I'm, um, I'm not a plotter. I don't plot my novels out. I just fly by the seat of my pants, and I start writing, and then by the time I finish a manuscript, I have a halfway uh, coherent story, and then, of course, I go back <laughs> and edit. Of course, I have an editor. But I don't sit yeah. down and plot. I thought, this is my time to plot this story out. And I took six weeks to plot, and I could get nowhere plotting. I was going to set this story in Budapest because that's where the story came to me. And it was going to be about a little girl and her grandfather. And um, it just was going nowhere. So I put it aside and I brought out uh, Revenge in Barcelona, the one I just mentioned that takes place in Barcelona, Mm -hmm. Spain. And then I also wrote... um, uh, missing in Miami, and then I thought, well, COVID was still going on, so travel wasn't possible. So I thought, well, maybe I'll go back to this because that story of a little girl with her grandfather just stayed in my mind. And right. so I thought, That's okay, what I'll give it a second. Yeah. And what I did was I listened to the character instead of trying to force my thoughts because I was right. going to write a ghost story. And I listened yeah. to the character. She told me that she was on the autism. Uh, spectrum, that uh, she had a difficult relationship with her mother because her mother couldn't deal with her brilliance, with the child's brilliance, and right. uh, her mother just wanted a normal child. The grandfather, because the grandfather is there, he uh, wanted her to be the next Einstein, and the little girl just wants her mother's love and acceptance, but she's very close to the grandfather. But the story did not stay in Europe. Jasmine, the protagonist, the little girl, took me back to Mexico, took me to an area of Mexico that's not as well known by by tourists as uh, other places. And um, it's in, in central Mexico, not too far from Mexico City, actually, just a couple of hours outside of Mexico City. But a wonderfully rich area with a lot of archaeology and and uh, lots of arts and crafts, and um, 
and the little girl grows up being very close to her grandfather, and she's a math genius, and she yep. plays the piano. And uh, it's a coming-of-age story with a lot of family secrets that, the little, that that's what, obviously, the story is about. The little girl wants, Jasmine wants to uncover the family secrets. And uh, true to her grandfather's desire for her to be the next Einstein, <laughs> she gets a scholarship well, at Princeton University. And that's where uh, the where the book ends is in 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 she's going to the university in Princeton. Well, I think you know family. Well, I do write a lot about family, and you know the series that I wrote with the Le- Warrington Legacy, their family. I, I do like that. You know, I I notice in my own writing, even a lot of my children's, a few of them. You know, the grandparents mean. I have grandparents in a lot of my books. Uh, because I think they're so important. You know, it's possibly because I I had great, you know, I had grandparents, but I had one specific one, my grandmother, and I've learned so much from her. And she lived till 101, so in my head, she's there. And how important that was to me. So I think, and, you know, a lot of TV shows now, a lot of movies, they show the grandparents in it a lot because grandparents matter. It's a different kind of relationship than with the parents. Yeah, it's just different. And I think it could be very beautiful and, you know, and it's not that you don't love your parents. It's just there's something special, I think, about a grandparent. So I think in that's an always an interesting topic, and I think more and more people are liking those kind of stories. I think you're because right. Because it brings I them home. It, yeah. It does, exactly. And it brings us back to uh, things that are really important about family. Um, yeah. And I think that that's, that's, uh, very, that's very important. And, I and, the auto- have- and the autism spectrum is an interesting one, too, because there's a lot of people that probably were never diagnosed have that. Because they they enlarge the spectrum. You are correct. You are absolutely correct. Uh, and, they, and we owe a lot of things to those people that have been on the, on the high-functioning end of the autism yes. spectrum. They call yes. them Asperger's. Now they're just calling it one, yes. one continuous spectrum. And people like Einstein are presumed to have been on the spectrum. There are yeah. uh, Marie Curie, who, uh, of course, was, was the first woman to get a Nobel uh, Prize right. for physics. Right. Um, she was presumed to be on the autism spectrum. And, the, and then people come from all walks of life. You have soccer yes. players that be on the autism spectrum, and they can yeah. be on the high function. Yeah. 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 And, and I think, yeah. And I think there's a play now. I think I've, I saw somebody on TV talking about there's a play with everybody in the cast is autistic at some point, you know, and they explain things and the play surfaces around like everybody, how they get through it. And they're all probably different. I never saw the play, but I heard them talking about it because there are so many people now diagnosed in that particular years ago, they didn't diagnose it, so people didn't know, and sometimes people thought they were strange. But that's not really exactly. true. They could either they could be so bright and 
know so many different things like Einstein. I mean, look at him, right? You know, and there, naturally a person like Einstein couldn't be the same as everybody else because he had certain drive that made him do things the way he did it. Yes, and he had not only a brilliant mind, he had a most amazing imagination that he yeah. combined with all of the technical aspects that led him to, um, you know, the, the theory of general relativity. He used thought experiments, and yeah. those thought experiments were just using his imagination to uh, see things in his mind um, that back then he didn't have the computing power uh, that we have today, obviously. So he had to do it in his mind, and we the world owes him so much uh, in you know what he did in physics is amazing and all the things that have uh, come out you know because of of his findings and his. There was a documentary. I don't know if you saw it. That it wasn't a doc. I think it was a series. I think it was actually on National Geographic. I think it was about Einstein. It was really really good. I think it was a couple of years ago. Some of those documentaries and some of these series are incredible because they really delve into people that you would not know anything about other than they were brilliant, but you wouldn't know their background like they do now when they have a lot of these documentaries and series about these people. That's correct. I thought, and yeah. and um, uh, No, I agree, and I did watch that, and I thought it was fascinating. And oh, you saw it too. Uh, yeah, it was really good. Yeah. Yes, yes, it was fascinating. And it's interesting to me how they can go back now with all of that information and analyze it and say, yep, he was yep. Um, pretty certain <laughs> he was on the autism spectrum. But one of the characteristics, of course, is the focus that those people have. They are so focused yep. on what interests yep. them that yep. they are relentless about pursuing it. And that's what creates greatness. You know, you, yes. you don't become by just doing things, you know, haphazardly. You become great because right. you are in a field because you're focused and because you're pursuing it with right. with passion and with uh, the love that you have for that field. But sometimes, unfortunately, the happiness of being with others goes, you know, that's a lapse of it. You know, that doesn't happen because they're so occupied. They want to be occupied with their family too, but they can't because they... They just can't concentrate on other things because that's so, that's what Absolutely. they see, like you know, in their mind. It, mu it must be incredible that's to be like that, you know. Close your eyes and just all these things come. And that's the downside, uh, because yeah. quite often yeah. don't have good interpersonal skills. And of course, yeah. that's one of the things I included in Jasmine because I had to do tons of research on autism. And one of the things that I gave her was. Uh, one of the traits that I gave her was that she didn't have good interpersonal skills and really couldn't yeah. relate with people on age because she was thinking about uh, building a space rocket when, uh, you right. know, other people broke. Right. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, because it's, right, it's a very specific, you know, type of – when you're making a character, you know, I think people, you know, when you're not a writer, I don't think you actually understand how we come up with this. It just happens. Like you said, like your characters take you places. That's what happens. You know, we start. But a lot of times if I try to write an outline and try to write notes, I do that. And then when I get to the computer, it comes out a whole different way. But And if you don't 
something about when I sit at the computer, the story just evolves. But when I'm just trying to plot it out, like I can't seem to do that right because the I, the characters kind of have their own voice and they take you. It does sound strange when other people, you tell people this, but that is how we write stories, a lot of us. It just happens. The characters, we follow. That's right. And if we try not to avoid that, we end up with no story, like I ended up at first with uh, Stolen Diary. Right. And then when yeah. I had a character me and I listened to her, I got right. what I thought was a wonderful book, a yeah. wonderful yeah. story. Yeah, because that's what happens. It's a good story. And that is what happens. It just, like, I, most people don't just sit down and they just write it out. It doesn't happen that way. It happens to us like we'll have a, they're part of us while we're writing them, and then you, that's when you write notes or things. Because if you don't write notes on them, then you forget that. Because they 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 think, and we have to put those that, that down when we're thinking it, because it won't come back to us. Like, I've right. in my head a lot of times. <laughs> I don't I know how that up. is or not, but it's it's in my <laughs> head. <laughs> that's right. But I've gotten up in the middle of the night when I think of something or I have a dream about something and I think, yeah. oh, that works great in this story yeah. Yeah. and just write a scribble of a sentence or two because by morning I will forget about it and, and it's right. such a wonderful thought that I... Right. Uh, and, I and it just doesn't come them. back. I don't know why that is. It does not come <laughs> back. You know, because sometimes we go, I know I was thinking something, but then, but even if I write a few words, I can get it from that. Just from writing yeah. a few words. Yeah. But, you know, and that's what happens. That's how you make good characters. I think it's important, you know, that when people are listening to the show or whatever, you know, I try to tell them, you know, don't like everybody else. You can't write like everybody else. Just because you see the way somebody writes, you have to write your own style. And each character you have is a different style. They're not, none of my characters, even though I have a lot of romantic characters like, you know, rom-com and, and their family characters, they're not the same. They're individual. None of them are the same. Yes, because... And I don't know how that happens, but it does. Yes, but to be believable as a story, uh, we need to mimic real life in the sense that no two of us are exactly the same. So our characters have to be uh, that way in in our stories, too. Right. And, you know, and I think... Naturally, with your experience, though, your characters, I mean, you've met tons of people, you've been tons of places, and you've had a lot of experiences. So that is a good way to describe an author that can really come up with a beautiful story because you've got it all. <laughs> well, <matters>. thank you, Mark. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> That's, uh, yes, those things really help because we do um, need that kind of variety in order to then include different things in our stories that can be very interesting to the reader. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, well, it's, that's then, what it's about. It's the character. It is the character. The character matters. You know, you can have the most um, incredible adventure, but horrible characters, people aren't going to like that. You, the characters have to have a heart. They have to have a life. They have to have likes and dislikes. And they have to have had some kind of conflict inside of them a lot of times, which we all probably do. Yes, because all of us do, and all of us have complex lives in one form or another, and our characters need that too. 
So will you be doing another one? Well, I just had one, another Nikki Garcia. That's Nikki Garcia number five that was published um, the 8th of February, the 8th of this month. So our Stolen Diary came out in January of last year. And then now I have another Nikki Garcia that just um, that just came out this month, and that one is in the U.S. It's placed in New Mexico and Colorado, and um, the reason for that um, was primarily again that uh, I couldn't travel. You know, I'd had yeah. I'd had this uh, major surgery, and the doctors didn't want me to do a no. lot of airlines, so I was no. completely. Uh, you know, back to myself. They certainly didn't want me getting on a plane for a 10-hour flight somewhere yeah. because if anything's wrong, you know, it'd be difficult up in the air. Yeah. So Yeah, um, well, right, right. And, and, you know, it's just the waiting in the airports, you know, it's very days, you know, going there two hours early and then I don't, that's one of the, you know, I don't, I, if I could just get on, go like to the airport and just get on the plane, but that's not how it is. You got to sit there and then they go, oh, might be delayed. <laughs> This might happen, and that you know. So I think that's a for people that don't like to fly. What's going on now makes us even more nervous. So I think that's an issue. And with COVID, you know, from what I've heard from a lot of people, nobody's wearing masks. But I do hear people are coming back with COVID. So I guess they're not wanting to think about that. But that is what is happening. <laughs> they're pretending it's not happening. It is. <laughs> they like it, they're pretending it. But they go like, oh, everything is fine. And if you have COVID, you can go out in one day. So I, I don't really understand this. And I think that, you know, when you're traveling, it should be an enjoyable vacation, right? I mean, unless it's yes. business or that you have to do something. But what's happening now is a lot of people are getting sick when they go to a place. So I think it would just be smarter if they would, you know, have some more rules because who wants to be somewhere that and you're not even with your own doctors or anything or people you know or and you're sick and that and then they go back on the plane because they some of them say they don't want to spend the money to stay where they are so now they go back on the plane with COVID so I'm hoping yes, they straighten some correct. of those things out because that makes it yeah it's not desirable to fly then no no you it know. isn't but you know old Bob I don't want to catch COVID. In another country, for that reason, I want to be well, that's in. Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I don't want, to, regardless of of how much it costs or whatever, you need to for something like that. You need to be comfortable that you know your yes. doctor, that you know your care provider. Yes. yes. Um, and then uh, you know you're not going to you know you can't be doing that if you're you know 12 hours away by by you know no yet. no. No, uh, yeah. I think this will be better. I think eventually this will get better. I'm hoping, you know, because, you know, but there are different forms of all this. And we can't, all these diseases and these bacteria, you know, I mean, th- this is what's happening now. So I think it will get better, hopefully, you know, and people will travel. You know, people are traveling, but most people that are traveling are thinking, they were thinking that they want to do the right thing, but they're not doing the right thing. They're thinking about it, but they don't want well, to. And so that's, that's right. a problem. Because, yeah, Marsha, when, when I travel, the last thing in the world I want to do is get sick and pass my germs yes. around everybody else. That is, it would be very irresponsible of me. Um, so I, I just it's prefer It's a very different world oh, now. It's different. Listen, when I worked in hospitals and I worked in pediatric offices and whatever I did, 
we we didn't wear masks and because the bacteria were not as severe as they are now because otherwise everybody would have been sick all the time that were working the doctors you know i mean nobody wore masks we didn't wear gloves i mean we did in the hospital yes but i didn't wear masks you know in the hospital unless you went into somebody that you needed to put a mask on but otherwise you didn't so that's i mean correct. that's how it was but this is how it is now so you know and i think for writing you know naturally it is great to be at the place but good thing about the internet i'm actually thinking of maybe going to the library a little more now i haven't been to the library in years but i thought oh you know maybe i'll just go to the library because i could think there i always used to be able to go there and think really well because i when when i was sitting in the library reading or, or writing even by longhand I didn't think of anything else. I just wrote. And that's what happened. Yeah. And a lot of people during COVID, they went to write a co. you know, they couldn't write in the coffee shops anymore. And that's where people get their thoughts. So many people were upset about that because that's how they did it. Yes. And, you know, Marsha, I've said many times that if I had not been a writer, COVID would have been much more difficult. The COVID period, I never caught I have not caught COVID. At least I haven't caught it that I know of. But uh, well, and I'm very like fortunate. Done. <laughs> right. But um, but I'll tell you that uh, if I had not been a writer already, COVID, the COVID period would have been I know. extremely I know. difficult. Yeah, I know. I know because that's true. Because I wonder, you know, because having something like you know people in your mind when you're writing and things like that keeps you occupied. And during COVID, I had all the shows, you know, for years, who thought for the first time when I had the COVID, I'd go, who wants to be on the show? We had people on and we were talking, thinking we didn't know how long it would last, how could we stay home for a week? And then then everything happened. So I think, you know, but I think this is life now. So I think, you know, where do you write in your house? Do you write in your house or do you write outside or in the nice weather? I have, um, uh, like right now, I'm in my office. And uh, we're in a community where there are some um, little ponds, and I can look mm-hmm. out over over a couple oh, of the nice. ponds, see the uh, egrets and the um, gray herons and the or blue herons. I'm sorry, blue herons, and I can see turtles at the side of the of the pond, and all of that just brings such joy to me, because of course, as I'm using the computer, I need to look out and kind of t- you yeah. know, rest my eyes and it's such yeah. a beautiful area but um i yes i have a uh i always have to have windows wherever i'm working and i know uh, we <laughs> i do, do know that I, yes i get it <laughs> <laughs> we're in angel fire uh we have an, a nice little library up there of course the town's only a couple of thousand people but uh, when we're there for the summers um the library is a nice little library, and they have wonderful programs for children. And um, it's so interesting to me to see how libraries can be such an important part of a community when you yes. have the right people working there yeah. and the right people, and the right programs. And they've always invited me to uh, to talk about my latest book and. Uh, it is just such a joy to see that uh, libraries. Well, I think can I think people like life. like authors. I think people like to talk to authors. And what a big mistake a lot of these libraries are doing and bookstores are by not having authors there. 
That's I hope they start again. They're opening four new uh, Barnes and Noble in the in the Chicagoland area. They took them away. Now they're bringing them back because I do think people will go. I, I, I believe that so. they've had enough now. I, I think they've had enough because you know everybody's on their phone. And then even myself, I'm reading on, I, I used to say, how do people read on their phone? And then I'm reading this and I'm on my phone more than my computer sometimes. I'm going, why am I doing this? You know, and I'm trying to, it's like you get addicted. And marketing and all of that a writer has to do, and it, it's a lot. So mostly it's important to get the stories out. And so Barnes & Noble and all these places, if they have more book signings and the libraries do, I think people will come for that. People like turning out for those types of things. And as I mentioned, I've done eight um, book clubs um, so far this year. And it's amazing to me. And that there, only one was by Zoom, okay? And that was because they, they weren't here. They were in central Texas, and I'm, I'm yeah. obviously four hours away. So we agreed that yeah. uh, I would talk to them by Zoom. And that camaraderie that you get with a group that's there in yeah. a room is so much better than oh, yeah. over Zoom or reading something or seeing something yeah. on your iPhone. It's not the same. I agree, Marsha. No, it isn't and the I, same. It isn't. So maybe it'll change back to that if they're starting to, you know, do that. That's good. So you went, you were at the book clubs? Is that what you did, book clubs? Yes. I do a lot of book clubs, yes. And, uh, so where did you and find it, them? You find them in the area? Did you find them in the area? Well, they find them or Bob finds them. Um, it's word of mouth. I've gone um, to Bay City, which is south of Houston, by a couple of hours, and I've gone to other places around Texas. And um, and it's word of mouth. Uh, Bob started out by um, promoting me for book clubs with different people that he knew, and then it's just grown from there. And um, mm-hmm. it's just amazing how uh, people, and I have found that these groups that I've done this year are happy to be back together as a group. And, yes, COVID's still yeah, out yeah. there. We, yeah. But uh, we can't stay closed up forever. And people no, are starting cannot. to. Right, exactly. And that's why I'm hoping the libraries will start that more. And, you know, and as you said, with children, you know, it's really important with children and libraries. They They should be at libraries. It's important. You know, and that's why I think a lot of people might be turning towards some of this again because we've lost a lot by not having that in life. So, you know, especially for children, they, you know, being in groups, listening to stories, I think it's important. So I'm hopeful, you know, I'm hopeful that this will, you know, continue on. It looks like if they're opening more bookstores, that might be something to think about. That's a good sign. I'm very happy to hear I that. I think so. Yeah, well, we'll see how that goes. All right, so you're writing again, and which is great. Not again, but you're still writing. So hopefully you'll come back soon, and even maybe you'll come back on a discussion. You know, That's with Eleanor, great. so we'll have a discussion. Yeah, and I, you know, I'm I, so glad that you are back, and you sound fabulous, not, not good. And this is, you know, it was really good that you talked about that at the beginning because I think people always think, oh, this may not happen to me ever, and nobody knows that. That's correct, There's just Marcia. no way you, that we oh. can know. But look at look yes. at how you've done. I mean, last year was last year. Now you're into a new thing else, which is good. You're writing, you're going places, and you're going to travel, you're going to do things, and you feel good. So, and I feel. 
you know what, and it's important to tell people what happened to you because they cannot be as scared if something happens to them. That's, that is key right there, Marsha. I love those yeah. words because yes. what you said is key. Yeah. Well, on that note, but I am so happy. I, I really am, you know, and I, that's why when they said, they said, oh, something's wrong with the phones, I'm going, oh, my goodness, I'm waiting for this interview. <laughs> I can't have it. All right, well, well, we'll knock wood that we had that. I'm always knocking wood because I'm so superstitious. It's unbelievable. Well, that I did get from my grandmother. That's one of the things I wish I didn't have. <laughs> but it's still with me. I, maybe that's why she's still with me because I'm so superstitious. What can I say? All right, thank you, and feel well. So keep going, and uh, let me know. Well, I'm going to read it, but so are you thinking of Stolen Diary going to be in a in an audio or? Uh, yes, eventually, but it's not going to happen probably till next year. Um, I've got so much to catch up on, and uh, I need to. Um, there's some others that are ahead of them, ahead of that one, so far as getting. Uh, yeah, but do you, you use, do you use the a- ACX? Do you use the Audible one? Is that what you do? Use yes, Audible. That's correct. yeah, yes. me too. Yeah, and uh, unfortunately, you could ask people questions, but I'm not sure right now anymore. This is what's happening. You can you can, you have to go online, and then they give you. You ask a question, then they ask you another question. And by the time you're done answering all those questions, you don't even care anymore. So, I, I, you know, they used to be able to call. You could call Audible. You could call these people, but it's not as easy as it was, you know, to call yeah. people that to get the answer. But because I use ACX too, you know, but, it, yeah, all this, it takes time, you know, and I think people don't realize how much time this takes. It's not easy. People don't realize how hard authors work. Authors work very yes. hard. We really do. And they do. Yes, we do. Yeah. And, I'm and up every that's why I keep telling people. <laughs> and I keep saying to everybody, okay, so then if we have to keep giving our books away, like for $0.99, cents, $1.99, I mean, so I, this is a plea to tell people, buy the book from somebody. You know, I mean, it's $2. You pay more for coffee. One, one somebody was on my show years ago, and they go, why are people paying so much for coffee, and they won't even buy a person's book? I go, well, that would be a good question. And you know what? I never forgot that. Because it's true. <laughs> it isn't. I mean, you, it's it's unbelievable. So what can I say? We'll leave on that note. But oh, I'm so happy that you came on. And take care. And I'll get in touch with you. And you'll come on soon again. Okay? So much, Marsha. Just love being and on your And thank you to your husband. Thank you to your husband for thank keeping you. us informed at the beginning. Okay? Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Okay, bye. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.